I went outsourcing <laughs> to find the people, places, and things that would allow me to kind of focus on my strong part, my strong suits, and, and get it done. Podcast Junkies, episode 192. Another fun fact about this episode, it's falling on the week of the fifth year anniversary of Podcast Junkies. Yes, that's correct. April 9th, 2014, I launched my episode one, episode zero, episode trailer, whatever I was calling it at the time, the first episode of Podcast Junkies where I introduced this show. And needless to say, I was incredibly nervous at the time. It was such a big deal for me. I was uh, unknown in the podcasting community, and I was really anxious about what was going to happen when I released that episode. (laughs) It's been such a crazy journey, and I feel like it's an important time to celebrate those little things. Uh, I'll be doing it again when I hit episode 200. Uh, Regular listeners will probably guess what can be expected on or who can be expected on that episode. So stay tuned for that. But I thought I'd acknowledge the actual date, April 9th, it'll fall on these, the Tuesday in between episodes of this one and the following one. So um, it's just been uh, an amazing, amazing journey. And I just want to say happy podcast birthday to me and to podcast junkies. And more importantly, to the 192 guests with a mix of other folks uh, probably who've been here a couple of times so that's not a unique count but I want to thank all of those folks and then all of the listeners who have joined me on this journey along the way so just a special uh, acknowledgement of that moment thank you for everything you do to support the show I say that at the end but this time I wanted to make that perfectly clear that it's such a special five-year anniversary moment for me and uh, I think it is kind of cool. In case you missed last week's episode, it was one with Rich Jones of Paychecks and Balances. Rich is such a great stand-up guy. We had a fantastic conversation, and I just continue to say how much I love these opportunities to get to know these folks uh, as friends a bit more and also as people whose stories I want to share with you. And so that's a really great one. If you missed it, podcastjunkies.com forward slash 191 for Rich Jones. This week, I have another great guest, Lori Tharps. Lori actually had the tenacity to start her show based on a conversation we had at a conference where uh, she approached me after I gave my talk and she asked if she could be on the show and tell the story of her launching a a podcast. Well, as you might imagine, there's a lot of folks (laughs) who who say they're going to launch a podcast, but then they don't. What's interesting about Lori's story is that she actually did. And she had me and my voice in her head because I told her, well, why don't you get your show started, get some episodes under your belt, and then come back and talk to me. And lo and behold, she did. And I'm true to my word. And I was so inspired by what she did and the concept of a show called My American Melting Pot. Naturally, we delve into a little bit of that story, that background, when we start the episode. Uh, She likes to talk about the supportive nature of the podcast community, which I am in total agreement with, and regular listeners will know that. She talks about how she started her blog first, and then how she came to the format of My American Melting Pot, uh, the show itself. We talk a little bit about how 
challenging it is to navigate sensitive and polarizing topics like race and why it's important to do a lot of preparation and a lot of research. And her background in journalism helped her become a great podcast host. And that really shines through on her episodes. You can tell from the quality of the music, the the way the show is paced, and uh, her engagement with her guests. So those are all great signs of a great show. And she's off to a really great start. We talk about what the goals are for Lori's show and her secret wish to be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> and there's a lot of podcasters, I think, that have that secret wish. We learn about the knowledge she gained from listening to a whole bevy of different podcasts. And we go into a little bit about what we call the art of the interview and why she's a, an eternal student. She gives us the reason why she interviews guests in her studio, the relationship she's developed with her podcast producer, and a very intimate interview she conducted with a jazz musician. She also talks about My American Melting Pot in Spain and her upcoming trip there. So I'm really happy when people are motivated um, to do something very important to them, and in this case, start a podcast. And I'm especially honored to have it uh, become as a result of the conversation she had with me after hearing me speak at a conference. Um, I think it was podcast movement, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But uh, we dig dig into all of that. So (laughs) without further ado, let's jump into that conversation. This episode is also brought to you by Focusrite. Focusrite, specifically the Scarlett 2i2, is my go-to piece of gear. It's something that I uh, actually travel with now all the time. I'm recording on it now. I've got the Shure SM7B piped into the Focusrite. I love the portability of it. I love the clean sound, um, and it's the perfect complement to this microphone specifically. As most people know, the SM7B is pretty gain-hungry, so I like having the flexibility of having the mic here and uh, the monitoring that I can do and having the controls at hand, which is very handy when you have a guest that may be lower or, or higher than you, and I'm a big proponent of monitoring your own sound when you're recording. So all good things that the Focusrite allows. Hope to run into Dan at uh, the upcoming NAB conference again. So without further ado, let's jump into this conversation with Laurie. So Laurie Tharps, host of My American Melting Pot. Thank you so much for joining us on Podcast Junkies. Thank you for having me. So we always like to tell the origin story of <laughs> how we connected. So you reminded me of it when we when we connected online. So uh, if you want to take the listener to that, I think they'd appreciate it. Okay. So last year at Podcast Movement, um, I was completely unaware of, you know, really anything about the world of podcasting. I had made a goal for myself. Um, I relaunched my um, my blog, My American Melting Pot, in the beginning of 2018. And I had made a goal for myself that I was going to launch a podcast as well. Um, and I thought, you know, it's, it was January when I was making these goals. And I was like, yeah, by summer, I'm going to have a podcast. Um, and I really wasn't I, I was late to the podcast game. I really wasn't one of those people who listened to a lot of podcasts. I listened to a couple. But um, what I did was I um, registered for podcast movement because I live in Philadelphia. So it wasn't a big deal to say that I was going to go. But I said, well, I'm going to register. And that way, you know, I'll, I'll already be podcasting. And, you know, this, it'll just be so wonderful. So by the time May came around and I was literally still dinkering around with the blog, hadn't gotten anywhere with investigating how to launch a podcast. Um, I even thought about not going to podcast movement because I was like, I have nothing to say. I have nothing to do. Anyway, so um, it was in Philly. I had 
again, I'd already registered, I'd already paid, so I said, I'll go. So you were one of the first people I heard speak and you made this amazing, you had this amazing story about falling off a cliff and like deciding like what was really important in life. And I was like, this man is like, his story is giving me life. Like, this is amazing. And I'm a writer, I'm a journalist, and I'm a storyteller, and I'm a people person. And I just was like, I have to meet him. And then, <laughs> um, and then when you, you know, you obviously explained what podcast junkies, I mean, no shade, like I'd never heard of your podcast, because mm -hmm. I literally knew nothing about podcasting. Yeah. Um, but I was like, wow, he does a podcast about podcasting. How fascinating. That's so smart. And then I thought, well, maybe he wants to do a show about someone who has doesn't have a podcast, but wants to start one. And so I accosted you in line somewhere and tried to pitch you this idea. And you were so nice, but you were like, my show is really about people who have podcasts. So if you get a podcast, like if you really mm -hmm. launch, you know, talk to me again. And believe it or not, like your voice was in my head this whole um, time that I've been, you know, trying to, you know, get my podcast off the ground because I, I was like, I want to be on Podcast Junkie. And um, Harry Duran said I could not do that unless I actually had a podcast. And I, I kind of looked at it as a challenge that that I really was going to come back to you because I didn't want you to think I was a total fool when I came mm. up to you. Um, and that because I told you I was going to launch a podcast. And um, that's what I did. And I literally said, when I get, you know, first season done, I'm going to come back to Harry and say, hey, I did it. You said so. Can I be on your show now? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so interesting because as you might imagine, when you go to a, a podcasting conference and you tell people you have a, a show that interviews podcasters, like everyone is like, well, I'll be on your show. <laughs> so you have to have some sort of um, filtering process, right? And in the beginning, when I started the show, I've talked about this a couple of times. I, I used to say, I want people who have had 50 episodes because I want people to be like, be super serious and I want them to be committed and you know, had this been doing this for several years, regular regular listeners will now know that um, that flew out the window early on because it was it was more important for me to have interesting conversations with people who are passionate in some form or another about podcasting. And I've had people who don't have a show but actually have developed a service or are entrenched in the podcasting community. So it's now telling the story of like everything that's happening around podcasting and you know it's, it's still 90 you know 90% 95% of folks obviously have a show and but some folks have started you know just recently as you and i think uh, it tells a more rounded picture when when folks like you come on and you know we're going to we're going to dig into the details of what that journey's been like for you but i think it's going to be fascinating and inspiring as well for people who were where you were because I think there's a stat with, you know, with um, podcast movement has probably talked about this a lot. People who come to podcast movement or PodFest or one of these other great podcasting conferences, they get excited. They say they're going to start a podcast. And then the, a year later, you run into them at the podcasting conference again. You're like, how's that show? Did, did you start it? Like, no, I didn't start it. You know? Yeah. So, so I want to I want you to talk about that a little bit. And, you know, you said the voice in your in your ear was was mine, so that was a bit inspiring. So, but I think I would guess there's something, some aspect of your personality that's also, you know, when you say you're going to do something, I imagine you know you you make you make a plan to do it. I do. I am definitely one of those people, and I have to say it's kind of funny because I literally just pitched a, a, a topic to speak at the next podcast movement, addressing that very issue about 
going, getting so excited and then being so overwhelmed and not knowing where to start. So like I said, I, I came to podcast movement with a blog and a lot of bravado. You know, I'm going to start a blog. I'm going to start a podcast. Of course I am. <laughs> How hard um, could it be? But by day like two and a half, I was like, okay, it's going to take me two years to start a podcast because... I don't know how to edit audio and I felt like the like the 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 like overriding um message was like your audio has to be good. Like mm -hmm. nobody wants to listen to bad audio. And you know, so many of the I mean I didn't go to a lot of the technical sessions, but I went to enough to hear that you know, there were terms that I was like, what are they talking about? I don't even know what they're talking about. How am I going to make it so that I don't do those bad things, but I don't even know what those things are. Yeah. So by day two, I was a little bit like defeated because I thought, even though all these people in this room have podcasts and they're, everybody's saying like, everybody can have a podcast. I was like, I I don't know how to soundproof my closet. Um, they're like, you just need one of these microphones. And like one of these microphones was like one of 20 and it yeah. just overwhelmed me. But the great thing was that I ran into somebody who had a podcast studio in Philadelphia and they were mm -hmm. like, we'll do everything for you. You just come and talk. Like you just come and bring your content. I'm a journalist. I'm a storyteller. Like I know how to tell a story. I know how to interview people. I know what a good story is. And I knew what I wanted to talk about, but the tech stuff was what got me. So as soon as I wrecked, once I realized that there were people who offered services that could take some of the, the tech out of my hands it like opened up the door. So by the time I left podcast movement, I had networked my butt off with everybody I knew who was, would, would do like editing, who had a studio um, and, and all different, you know, variations of the same. Like, I mean, I met people who were offering to edit from Miami and I was like, how would we do that? But okay, yeah. tell me, how do you do that? Like, tell me about your service. So, so that's what my like, you know, my takeaway from podcast movement was, oh, I can do this. I don't have to spend, you know, two years learning how to be a good audio editor. Not, and it's not just the editing, but it's just capturing the sound. You're like, I, you know, just figuring out which, you know, platform to use was also overwhelming to me. Um, so, so again, I left podcast movement, like, okay, I am going to start my podcast because I said I was going to, and I really want to, because I also had been very inspired by, again, the power of podcasting. Plus, I love, like, I love the people. Like, podcasters yeah. are, like, they're just, like, kind of wonky, nerdy, like, into their thing. It's a cool group to be a part of. Like, I wanted in. Like, I wanted yeah. in, not from the <laughs> peripheral, like, yeah, I listen to you guys. No, I was like, yeah, I'm one of you. So I left knowing that what I needed to do was to find a team, if you will. Like, to find people who I could outsource my the things that I didn't know how to do um and and then you know figure how that was going to work and that's exactly what I did I went outsourcing yeah. <laughs> to find the people places and things that would allow me to kind of focus on my strong part my strong suits and and get it done yeah talk a little bit more about the community because it's something that uh resonated with me when I went to the first podcast movement which is now about five years it's five years ago it's 2000 uh 14, right after I'd started my show. And what I realized is like, wow, this is my tribe. You know, this is the stuff that we love to talk about. And it's a, you know, 
when you go to a, a conference and you can all t geek out on the same things, like all you do is talk about like downloads and microphones and, and websites and, and recording and, and there's something for everyone there. And different from other conferences that I was, I used to go to in my corporate world or in my corporate life, um, everyone is just so helpful. Everyone just really wants to help you and they want you to succeed. And I, I imagine that's a little bit of what you felt when you, even though this was your first podcasting conference, you probably picked up on that right away. Yeah, I picked on, but I picked up on it so much that I didn't want it to end. And by the end of the podcast movement, we, we created a like a splinter Philly podcast movement group and started our own little group so we could keep meeting because it Perfect. was that much of a like, this is amazing. And the thing about I, I think I think the reason that like podcast community can be so supportive is because we have this thing in common, which is podcasting, but our subject matter could be completely different. So that that like feeling of competitiveness is kind of eliminated because, mm -hmm. you know, my podcast buddies are talking about like, um, you know, um, one friend of mine, you know, like my new podcast friend, you know, she's doing a podcast about philanthropy and one is doing a podcast about um, living like an alternative lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And again, as a journalist, like the reason I'm a journalist is because I'm nosy and I like to talk. So like podcasting okay. is perfect for me, but um, you know, this community of people who have this like thing that they like to talk about so much that they decided to create a podcast about it just appeals to me because these are like people are really intensely like passionate about both podcasting but also their content which just you know it's like endless conversations and then um there's a little bit of like entrepreneurial entrepreneurship that I enjoy about podcasting as well because it's your own thing you yeah. literally are owning this thing and um you know the downloads and the marketing and the PR stuff I mean, I kind of like that too, because, um, yeah, that's just, it's, it's part of it. It just, it really, really allows me to connect to all these different parts of my personality and the community. You find more people like that. I mean, mm -hmm. there are other people who are like, yeah, I love this, like, you know, bird watching, but I also love to figure out how I can like talk about bird watching with other people. And then I have this cool microphone or I, I did this cool thing where I went to the library and like, <laughs> I read this this woman literally she has a bird watching podcast and she like is it Susie Buttress you know I don't remember her name because we're like friends online but she was like uh is it a, it's a casual no I forgot the name of the show she's it could, I mean because I don't know how many bird cast per bird watching she's been podcast. on the Susie Buttress has been on the show and she's she's a super she's really a, a fan of the show as well well she was if it if it was her yeah. she was talking about how she kind of like got on this roster of speakers at her local library of like older adults. Okay. So they didn't even know what podcasting was like they didn't, she had to like introduce them to the concept, but they were really jazzed on the bird watching. So she like totally cultivated a whole new audience from like senior citizens. Um, mm. And it just the kind of like stealthy way she did that. Um, you know, making them think they were going to get a lecture on bird watching, but really she got like 20 new podcast listeners and subscribers yeah. who, you know, it was just really cool. And I just love that. So um, again, I'm not a bird watcher, but I just love the way she's like approaching, you know, developing an audience and, and I might try, in fact, true confession, I totally am doing that. I'm already talking to my local library, you know, and yeah. figuring out how to like jump in on their audience about this topic oh, yeah. that I can use 
to, you know, introduce my podcast. So that's so interesting because the, especially this idea of the, the library is the one place that has every topic imaginable, right? And so if you can organize a talk, they're always looking, you know, because people think that libraries are like going out of fashion, but I, I don't, I don't, I think there'll always be a place for them. And they're always looking for content. They're always looking for ways to pull in people to come into the physical building. And I think if you have a topic you want to talk about, just pick the topic of your, of your podcast, and then you can talk about that. And then at the end, you can, you know, similar to what this, 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 this woman did with, with her show, just say, and by the way, if you want, I talk about this every week on my show. <laughs> and if you don't know what a podcast is, pull out your phone right now and I'll right. show you exactly how to subscribe because, you know, typically with an older demographic, you know, you might need to hold their hand a little bit. But I always tell everyone I meet when it comes to podcasting, like you need to get out of the podcasting circle as well and be where your listeners are. So whatever, for me, it's a bit meta because it's a podcast about <laughs> podcasting. So, right. so I, I go to podcasting conferences, but if you're talking about bird watching, you go to a bird watching conference, right? And right. so if there's, if there's places where your topic resonates and people want to hear about it, then, you know, you, you come in with a topic, but then when they ask you like who you are, the one thing that you can now say, and, you know, I, I tell people this all the time is to make sure like on Facebook and on LinkedIn that you put host, you know, host of my American melting pot. Like that's, that's going to grab people's attention. You're like, wait, you're the host of a show as well. And you know, it's a conversation starter. Right, right. You know what? Thanks for reminding me. I think I need to go change my LinkedIn profile because I just said podcaster, but yeah. host sounds yes. a lot more pro. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Mental. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. <laughs> yeah, you're the host of a show. Showrunner is another title people like to use a lot. And that comes from like the, the TV, TV and film. Yeah, world yeah, right. Yeah, I'm a host. Yeah, you are. Thank you. So did you have, uh, I know you said you were, you had the blog already. So did you have that as a starting format for how you were going to structure your episodes? Not really. Um, the, the blog was my, I started the blog 12 years ago and it um, basically was my outlet as a journalist to write about issues about race and pop culture that mainstream media outlets weren't very interested in, you know, they weren't necessarily interested in the same stories that I was interested in. Mm -hmm. I worked for very, I worked at entertainment weekly magazine, um, and other, and, you know, I work for Glamour and um, Essence and the, even Essence, like they have their, they have their editorial, you know, calendar. They know what they want to talk about. And um, just as an example, I wanted to, before Ricky Martin became, you know, the big thing in the nineties, um, was that the nineties? Yeah. Like <laughs> I was like, everybody in the world is listening to this guy, Ricky Martin and at Entertainment Weekly, they were like, Mm, he's he's not important and I was like you're <laughs> kidding me I was just at Madison Square Garden and the place was packed and yeah. the amazing thing was it was packed with people of every ethnic group that you could imagine mm -hmm. there were Asian people there there were black people there there were white people there there were Latinos there everybody is jamming out to his music in Spanish so like this is this is an entertainment story and you know they were like yeah I don't think so so that's when I was like I've got to start a blog so that I can you know I can write about these things that I'm seeing and I'm noticing that the people in my world are talking about, even if quote unquote mainstream media isn't ready to talk about it yet. So when I decided to relaunch the blog in 2018, kind of um, like I knew I wanted to do it in a more um, public facing way. I knew I wanted to be more than just my personal observations, my musings. Like I really wanted to have more of an impact in the kind of national conversation about race, diversity and pop culture. 
So that's why I wanted to start a podcast as well, because I knew I could reach more people with the podcast and um, bring um, more voices into kind of the brand. So, um, so the format was really, I mean, for lack of a better word, I mean, it was pretty much based on, you know, your average kind of NPR interview show. I mean, it was kind of based on um, Radio Times or um, Fresh Air, sorry, or Fresh Air, you know, but with a little more me, a little more personality and a tiny bit of humor. um, Because one of the things that I always stress when I when I talk about race and pop culture is like I don't talk about race and pop culture to depress people. I'm not looking at doing another show that's going to you know bring you down at the end of the show. You're depressed. I really um, want people to think about you know our American popular culture from a multicultural perspective. So for example, I did an episode on technology, but we talked about like how technology can actually be racist. Um, which people don't think about. I didn't even think about it until I talked to a friend who is a data journalist and had really kind of done a lot of research on this idea that because, you know, humans program our technology and humans can be racist or biased, you know, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and they can bake in their bias into technology. And that's something we should really be aware of. So, um, I like to think of my show as, you know, conversations about diverse topics with diverse people that will make um, an audience think differently. Um, and, and really, that's all I'm trying to do. And I'm trying to do it in a way that's enlightening and entertaining. Like, I want people to be smiling, laughing, thinking, like, and sharing this information when they're done. So I always start with a melting pot minute, which is kind of my opportunity to do a little bit of riffing on some kind of current event um, or, you know, thought piece, if you will. Um, And then it's a conversation with my invited guest or guests on the topic at hand. Um, Right now it's bi-weekly and I did that to ease myself into the uh, rhythm of podcasting. Eventually I would like to go to a weekly show, but I have read enough um, burnout stories Um, and I didn't want to put myself, you know, I didn't want to set myself up to fail. So we come out every other Friday and, um, and again, that was the idea was to keep it kind of short enough for a evening commute, like a 30, Mm -hmm. 40 minute show. I have completely not been able to do that. The show is a little like some episodes a little longer because some of these topics are just so fascinating. I cannot cut, um, you know, what would be needed. The first episode, I was like, we got to keep it under 40 minutes because, you know, that's how long it takes for somebody to get home from work. But I personally love, you know, a longer conversation. I don't shut it off. I literally will sit in my, even though it's in my ears and I can move, I still sit in my car as if (laughs) I can't turn it off. Um, So I recognize that I think if if the conversation is going well, if the story is really interesting, not to cut it off, to let it go a little bit longer. That reminds me, I, I always have, a, have a, a Facebook group for folks that are in the, the podcasting world. And I always try to ask a stimulating question or something around podcasting. I think the next one is going to be, when's the last time you sat in your driveway to finish a podcast episode? Because <laughs> <laughs> people do that all the time. What I, what I thought was interesting is, especially with a topic as sensitive as the one you have, that you can have a choice of whether you want to be polarizing or not. Mm-hmm. And I think when you are, 
you know, I'm, I'm Latino. And so sometimes these types of topics come up and, and you have to figure out, do you want to be inclusive and actually have a conversation or a friendly debate? So, you know, I've, I've had people on whose ideas I don't necessarily agree with on the show before. And in the beginning, I'd be a little worried, like, are they going to say something that I'm not going to agree with? And I'm just going to be like, oh, no, should I confront them or should I not? And it's this idea of being um, of, of disagreeing without being disagreeable <laughs> and just not, you know, just or, or agreeing to, to, to disagree in a way that you respect that that's their opinion. And you have to understand like the context of like, you know, where, where they were born and how they were raised. And, and maybe that colors a lot of how they view the, the world. And at the end of the day, realizing that we're not all going to be on the same page, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. And I think we just have to respect each other's opinion and just do it in a way where, where we're not fighting, but at least we're, we're having the conversation because at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. I agree a hundred percent. I have to say for my first season, um, my guests are, I'm, I'm lucky because I have been a journalist for over 20 years and I have had the privilege of meeting and um, interacting with some really amazing people. So I was able to tap into my network for most of my guests. I think I, I think almost all of my guests for the first season were people that I had like a, a connection to. Um, but I know for season two, um, you know, I've got to branch out a little bit. And that is one of the things that I, I worry about um, is, you know, given the topics that I want to discuss, what happens when it's not a love fest um, in terms of us agreeing on the issue at hand. Um, and I pride myself on being that type of person who can have these difficult, quote unquote, race conversations um, in a way that is productive and not combative. Um, and, I, and I'm already thinking, like, what do I do? Do I push, you know, if I've invited someone on my show and they have a, uh, an idea um, or a, you know, a thought that, you know, goes against maybe what I believe, do I push them? Do I challenge them or do I just let their opinion, you know, rest and, you know, we move on? That is something I'm, you know, thinking about as the host of this show. It hasn't happened yet. Um, although there was one guest, I have to say, there was one guest who I knew she had a certain um, opinion about a certain politician that I was, that I really disagreed with. And mm. I just prayed that it wouldn't come up. And because I was like, if she says something, I'm going to have to say something, but she didn't. So that, that disaster was averted. Um, it wasn't, a bit, it wouldn't have been a disaster, but I really did have to think like, what is, what is my response going to be if, if that comes up, which I think really just speaks to um, being prepared, right? Yeah. Like you don't want to invite somebody on your show and not really know where they're coming from, what their thoughts are, what their beliefs are, because I think that would be, I mean, my show is not live, so we could always bleep something. I mean, or, you know, edit something out, but I think it's really important. And again, I'm learning this as I go, that really knowing, like doing the research on your guests is really important so that you can be prepared or even say like ahead of time, we're going to, you know, not mention, we're not going to go in this direction. You know, we're going to talk about this, this, and this let's keep, you know, that aspect out of it. Just so you, I mean, you don't even have to tell the person why you don't want to talk about that. Um, But I have, you know, from experience, understand like how to kind of avoid those confrontations, but also keeping in mind that I might not be able to avoid them all the time. Um, but I don't ever want a guest to come on my show and feel that they came and were 
you know, were beat up or mm -hmm. um, put on trial for their thinking. And that's not the kind of show I want to have anyway. Can you talk a little bit about how your 20 years of journalism experience has helped you both prepare and actually have these, these types of conversations? Yeah, I mean, um, so my my career as a journalist actually began in entertainment journalism. I worked at Vibe magazine and then I worked at Entertainment Weekly magazine. And I was, you know, to, you know, keep the Ricky Martin theme going, live in La Vida Loca. Like I was really, you know, having a great time. But in the back of my mind, I always thought that, you know, my role as a, you know, a black woman who grew up with a lot of privilege that, you know, my role was to make the world a better place somehow. Like that always mm. was supposed to be, like, I mean, I wasn't just supposed to be out here, you know, cavorting with, you know, movie stars. Um, and I and I always felt a bit of guilt about that. So even though I was making money from entertainment journalism, I was always kind of working and writing about, you know, I'd say social issues, if you will. Um, and I wrote, um, I've written four, no, three, well, four nonfiction books um, that all have to do with race and identity. And all of my books are really made for a general audience. Like when I write about and talk about like race and identity as, you know, a professional writer, I'm always really um, intentional about making my work really accessible. I don't want to shut people out of these very important conversations. My first book was um, called Hair Story, Untangling the Roots of Black Hair in America, which one might think, well, that must be a book for Black people since it's mm -hmm. about Black hair. But since Black people live amongst everyone else and everyone sees their hair, you know, it's like it's a it's a book that can be enjoyed. And the hair story as a book, yes, is appealing to Black people, but it's appealing to anybody who's ever wondered about the wonders of Black hair, you know, whether it's about the styling or the history or the politics. Um, and, and I literally, um, I co-wrote the book with a friend and we really wrote that book with the intention of um, making black hair not so mysterious and misunderstood in the world. And you can't, um, you cannot create content with the idea that it's only for one kind of person. Mm -hmm. if, you're, if your goal is to make the world a better place, everybody's got to be informed by, you know, everybody has to have the same information. And that's kind of the problem with our country, I think, about race a lot of the times is that so many people are coming from different, everybody has a different rule book. Everybody read, got some different information. So yeah. when we come to the table, it's hard to have a conversation because you're like, wait, you know, Texas is what, you know, like, and, you know, the, you know, uh, George Washington did what, you know, because they have people have different sources of information or yeah. lack of information entirely. So, again, my goal is, again, to make the world a better place, to eliminate racism altogether. And this idea that America has been a racist place since day one, that we are naturally self-segregating is not really true. If mm -hmm. you understand that American history has been diverse since day one, that people of diverse backgrounds have been working together, living together, loving each other from day one, then the conversations we could be having today would be very, very different. So as a journalist, my goal has always been to like unearth these types of stories that showcase diversity in action. So whether that's, 
you know, doing a profile of a black Brazilian chef who is working in New York City mm. or, you know, a story about um, Korean Mexican food. You know, there's obviously a food theme here um, or, <laughs> you know, us, you know, doing this story about Latinos and Indian people, Indian from India, like Pakistani community yeah. in the California and the, like that people don't know that this is all part of American history. So I've been researching and writing about these issues, articles, blog posts, books since 1999, really. Mm -hmm. And so the podcast has just, it's, it's the same thing. And that's why, you know, in the beginning when I said, oh, I'm ready to start a podcast, but the technical stuff is going to slow me down. I, I don't want to be slowed down, but at the same time, um, because I have been doing this for a while, I do have a professional reputation. Like I have written, you know, award-winning books and, you know, written in the New York Times and the Washington Post. So I'm not going to put out a podcast that sounds like, you know, an amateur hour, right? So, so for me, you know, finding the guests, interviewing them, you know, doing the research beforehand, got that, totally got that. Although I have to say, and my editor, who I have an amazing editor producer who comes from WH, uh, from NPR, from public radio, right. he helps me a lot because there's a lot of things you can do when you're doing an interview for print that you can't do in a microphone. Like people don't want to hear all of my blah, blah, blah stories and all my aha, aha, <laughs> aha. My editor will, and he just is like, yeah. you did it again. You know, I've got to edit out all of those uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. It's like the stop um, talking. Yeah. All of that. So, um, and of course, there's a different way to conduct an interview, you know, that was that you're just extracting information that then you're going to write down as opposed to an interview for, you know, for other people to enjoy the actual sound of the other person's voice. So, um, it is a, there is a definite learning curve, but I have to say, um, the approach, you know, the approach in, in finding fascinating topics, the approach in finding my guests, the approach in researching the story is something that, you know, again, comes from a long, you know, background in doing just that for other mediums. I like the fact that you uh, created your episode, your trailer, your episode zero. So that's a great story. I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of that. It's something we do when we, when we produce shows for clients. And I think it's just an, a great um, way to encapsulate your story and it pulls folks in who may have never heard of you or mm -hmm. don't know what the show is going to be about and uh, you, you did it very well and um, thank you, were, you it was entertaining and <laughs> a little, thank in, you injecting a little bit of humor in that as well so well, I secretly want to be a stand-up comedian so like you know <laughs> phase three of my life you know be from podcast to stand-up comedian yeah. my student I'm a I'm also I prof I'm a professor at Temple University and my poor students I'm like trying out my jokes with them too. I, I'll probably be a professor for life because I don't think I have what it takes to be a comedian, but you know, give me a microphone. Yeah. Everyone has got like a, once folks have bucket list items, right. You know, it's always like uh, skydiving or like public speaking, but I know a lot of folks that have like five minutes, a five minute comedy set, right. Because, <laughs> and that's, I mean, I was at a comedy show uh, last, last night, night before. And um, actually, at the comedy store, I was in LA, and I'm I'm in um, and in Minneapolis now. But the it's crazy when you think about how challenging something like that is, and you take it for granted. And you're like, how it's five minutes, like it's quick, and telling one joke on stage is hard enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> stringing together like a 
like a theme and a story and it's it's a it's a definitely an art form and it's it's, it's always fascinating to me because i'm the type of person that's situationally funny and like i could crack a joke at a at a dinner table and pe- have people laughing but then I, I sometimes delude myself into thinking, well, I could go on stage and do this. And then and then I see the folks who do it and I'm like, I, I just, the, no. this the well, nerves of how, like having a joke not land. And then it's like crickets in the room. Like, yeah, I know. Okay. Well, that's the same thing I felt about podcasting though. It, originally, I, and thank God I have this amazing producer. Hi, Brad. Just, you know, thanks, Brad. Um, shout out because to Brad. shout out to Brad a hundred percent, because again, coming from a, you know, long journalism background, loving to talk to people, I really thought like I have what it takes to do interviews with the microphone for a podcast. And it's not that easy. Um, That is definitely, um, you know, a big learning curve um, that doing a really good interview um, requires much more than, you know, what I just assumed would be kind of a continuation of my um, kind of journalism background. Um, and listening to so many, I mean, what I did when I left podcast movement was literally like, just listen to podcasts nonstop. And, and I would listen. And if it was horrible, I'd stop listening. Like I didn't force myself to keep listening to bad podcasts, but I was taking notes of like, oh my God, she asks really dumb questions or she doesn't do follow-up questions Mm. or she keeps interrupting her guest or you can tell that she's trying not to interrupt her guests so much. So it sounds like she's not listening, you know, like there would be so many different ways that you could hear like how hard it actually is. And then like listening to people who do really good interviews, you almost don't notice it. Right. You're saying, why do I enjoy this one? What makes this person's interview style so good? You know, it's a combination of X, Y, Z. They don't interrupt. They ask good questions. They do the follow-up, you know, all of these different things. And I spent a lot of times and I'm still like, if I have a favorite podcast, I, I listen to it as a podcaster, not just as a con, as a consumer, because I'm literally trying to figure out why is it that I can listen to this person's voice over and over and over again, to the point there's even one podcast I listen to where I'm like, I love her laugh. Like, like, (laughs) whereas there's another podcast where I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot stand her little like giggle or something like that. So even to that point, you know, you have to ask, what is really making what makes the interview you know this one better than that one and you know what are the you know the skills that you really need to work on to make sure that you know it becomes like consistent um like format and form yeah it's interesting really interesting especially the art of the interview because having done you know i'm getting up on 200 right now pretty pretty soon and I've just been fascinated and just become an eternal student of it. And so all those points that you had about, you know, typically it's, it's funny from an editing perspective, if you see a, cause you typically see them as separate wave files. And if you see the host with like a lot of like activity and the guest with like very little activity, you're like, you can tell right away what's someone put that in, in one of the editing groups on Facebook. They're like, what's the problem with this conversation? And all they did was post the two way files and you're just like host guest. You're like, ah, (laughs) so yeah, it's, it's a fine line, but now because it's interviews, I listen to other interviewers and I'm always open for suggestions and I listen to questions people ask. And, you know, I keep a list of Oh, I'm going to add that question or I'm going to add a flavor of that question mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like in, 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 in my conversations. And I think that's always why I've, I've loved 
doing video for this, you know, and, and now we're using Squadcast because I just, there's something about the, even the body language or asking a question. And then when you, when people think, you know, the way they cock their head when they're thinking, they're just like, hmm, that's mm -hmm. a good question. And mm -hmm. if this was like just audio, I'd be like, uh, Laura, you still there? Like, right, <laughs> you know, right. I'm nervous. And, and so just little things like that, I think. But then to your point, keeping in mind that at the end of the day, it's going to be consumed on a, on, on audio and it's, and it's going to probably 80 to 90% of podcasts are consumed on mobile. So people have their earbuds in. Mm -hmm. And so to your point, I tell this to folks all the time, like people are more discerning now with podcasts and they're not, they don't have the, the patience for, you know, the, the, the two guys or the two gals in a basement or, you know, the, doing their, their brunch podcast where they're, by the end of it, they're drunk. And right. <laughs> I, I, I just could not, I just, I'm like, skip no i not yeah. interesting at all and and i think it's true because there are so many well produced podcasts yeah. um that it's like you don't need to listen to that um yeah. unless they're your best friends or something like that but that's one thing that my producer um you know that's one of the reasons why i wanted to have a studio um is because i did want to have my guests in the in the room with me mm -hmm. um which again it's true that no one's going to see the guest although true like again projecting into the future want to do some video of some of these interviews but um i know that our conversations you know i've had about i think like i'd say 50% of the guests that we've had have been in studio and 50% have been on the phone. Um, and I have to say that the ones where they're in studio, it's just a better rapport. I feel like the conversation yeah. has gone better. And I bill my show as, you know, that we have conversations, that I'm not interviewing people, that we're having a discussion. And so that obviously can happen a lot better when you can see the other person and you can like tell that, oh, that question made them uncomfortable. <laughs> I had my Barbara Walters moment where I had someone, she actually cried. I was like, I mean, I wasn't happy she cried, but I was like, oh my God, I feel like Oprah right now. Um, no, it's so funny because, um, you know, it sounds weird to say you, but you realized it's, I think you realized you, you asked something or you're having a conversation that's resonating. And, right. you know, like when someone says, no one's ever asked me that before, you know, every podcaster like wants to hear that. Like, oh yes, yes, right. yes. Yeah, and if you're but if you're having a real connection with people and they are getting emotional about it, then it sort of speaks to you're having a genuine connection, a human to human connection. And, you know, you've had them feel so comfortable that they can do that in your presence, which is, you know, really a testament to you. And I'm sure from your journalism background, but just empathizing with your, your guest as well is really important. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, again, like I said, I, I'm trying to have, conversations with people. Um, I want people listening to feel like they're part of a conversation. Um, and so, again, yes, we do our research. Um, we see, I, I said we, it's me. Like, it's just, it's a one man, it's one woman operation. Every, when we're every talking podcast about research, does that, yeah. Right, like uh, the team. But yeah. um, Well, Brad, right? <laughs> Brad is amazing. Brad does everything. He's he the does team. the editing. Yeah. He does the like all of the engineering, everything, but it's me who does all the content. But, you know, for that um, episode, we actually interviewed the woman who is, who created our theme music. She's a jazz musician and she, you know, again, the, the melting pot theme is race and pop culture. She happens to be um, the, the daughter of a black man who was a black panther in his day and her mother is Japanese American and was actually in the internment camps. 
And so Uh-oh. she had this very like radical upbringing and is now, I mean, like a world famous jazz musician. And because she lives in Philly and because Philly is like the small city and the big city, um, we got connected and she made our theme music. So we decided to interview her because, I mean, what what better you know example of pop, pop culture and race than Sumi Tanoka? She's amazing. Yeah. Um, but she had this like, her backstory, which when, you know, when I asked her to do the theme music, it wasn't like I researched her backstory and her family heritage or anything like that. Um, so in researching it, I was like, oh my gosh, because she'd actually created a, a, an entire musical piece about the Japanese internment camps in honor of her mother and getting into that conversation, it just became very personal. Um, but because we were sitting right next to each other. Right. And again, we weren't like we weren't friends, like we didn't have a deep relationship, but being in the same room and having this conversation, it's, and and I think that's what, why podcasting feels very intimate, you know, and what I hope to convey with my, to the audience is that they're part of this intimate conversation, right? Um, And that, like, I'm very proud of that um, episode because I'm not a musician. I don't know very much about jazz particularly, but we were still able to have this really powerful conversation because it was about, you know, race, popular culture, art, you know, and we were able to still have this deep, meaningful connection. And, and she played piano for us live in the studio. Mm. So it was just a really amazing, you know, example of the power of podcasting, if you will. Yeah. Are you attending uh podcast movement in Orlando in July? Well, um, like I literally just uh, submitted a proposal to speak. And I kind of said that if I get selected to speak, that'll be my like, look, I'll go. Um, I'm actually going to be in Spain for a big part of the summer. I'm going to be doing the podcast I'm going to be doing like three special episodes from Spain for the podcast, which I'm really excited about. Um, I wrote a book called Kinky Gaspacho and it came out in 2009. And what, thank you. Um, (laughs) And it's about, I mean, it's a memoirs, but the last like third of the book was about my discovery of uh, African slaves in Spain, which makes a lot of sense because Spain kind of owned most of the slave ships. They weren't, um, yeah. So most people, most people who were, you know, trafficking in slaves were paying a tax to the Spanish. And mm-hmm. um, my husband is from the south of Spain, and we were in the south of Spain. And I was like, wouldn't it make sense that some black people got off the boats? Like, didn't it make sense that there were actually black people in Spain in like the 15th, 16th century? And I asked around, and people were like, no, we never had slaves here. There were no black people here ever. And I was like, I'm finding that hard to believe. So I turned it into a um, a magazine story. Like I, I yeah. pitched the story and it was a great article and then it turned into the book. Um, so again, the last third of it is about, you know, discovering Spain's kind of hidden black history. So um, I'm going to do three episodes, uh, the 10 year anniversary of Kinky Gaspacho, like talking about what it's like to be black in Spain in 2019. There's been a lot of, um, there's been a, couple of really cool documentaries that have come out about like black people's influence in flamenco music Mm. and there's just been and like a lot of chatter within academia about like really talking about not just the black history of spain but also the 
Jewish and Moorish history of Spain, which is always kind of just glossed over. Yeah. Um, so it's a total like My American Melting Pot in Spain special episode. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And I'll be in Spain almost all summer. So I would literally be coming back from Spain and hopping on a plane and going to Orlando, which doesn't sound horrible. It sounds like really awesome. But I have three kids, one of whom is going to college starting in August. So like I said, if I get chosen to speak, I'll be like, well, <laughs> somebody really wants me to go to podcast movement. I mean, I would love to go like in a heartbeat, but it might be biting off too much for this particular summer. Um, I also think it's crazy that anybody is trying to have a conference in Orlando in August. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. And it's funny. Cause like every conference, like the um, national association of black journalists conference is in Miami in August. And I'm like, who is thinking about doing these things? It's like the associated, uh, it was like a writing conference in Boston in February. It was like, and yeah. half people couldn't go because it's, you know, they got snowed no. out. I'm like, well, I, I think don't know. For the, I think for the, the, um, the conferences in Orlando, m most of the time we'll be indoors anyway, and it'll be the AC. You'll actually be probably cold because the AC will be blasting and everyone right. will have sweaters on. Right. That's what happens. But um, regular listeners will know that we like to put intentions out into the uh, into the universe. So, if Dan or, or Jared are listening from Podcast Movement, you know they'll they'll give your your application uh, a closer look and accept you. I hope so because you know um, a bunch of us at the end. I mean, like no joke, Podcast Movement changed my life. Like I want to be there only if, if for no other reason because like I want to see everybody that I met last year. But yeah. a bunch of us took pictures on stage. Um, so that if we did, you know, make it next year, like make it this year and we got to speak, like we could show that picture and show people what's possible, right? Mm -hmm. Like going from nothing to being able to be on stage and speaking at podcast movement a year later, like that would be the dream. I still have that picture like in my phone of like, this is going to be me, um, next year. Well, you've already made progress and you've probably done more than folks who show up for a, a podcast conference on um, for their first time and, and get excited about doing something. And then at the end of the day, they never do it. But I think it's, I think you, you realized how important this was to you and you had the background and you had the drive to tell your story. And, and then, um, you know, I think you were inspired when you were at the talk where we met. And I think all those pieces together led to, to what you have now and, and why you have such an amazing sounding show. Thank you. And I have to say that like, you know, finding the studio space was also something that, you know, like I said, I met people at Podcast Movement who offered that service, but I ended up finding a free a free studio in that oh, wow. I, wor I work at a university and we have a radio station. So I just, you know, want to encourage anybody who might be listening and also kind of thinking, you know, whether it's because you don't have good space in your home or maybe you have a loud house with kids or animals or something that you just can't do it. Um there are a lot of people like I feel like every day somebody else is kind of starting a new um, like studio space. A lot of co-working spaces are putting mm -hmm. in podcasting um, yeah. studios. Um, again, universities, if they have a radio station, sometimes they have free time that they can you can use. So um, I really do encourage people who do feel overwhelmed because they don't want to invest in the equipment or they just, you know, maybe it's too expensive even um, that there are places. And again, um, you might not think of it again. I think university is an obvious one, but 
co-work, co-working spaces, business development centers. There's here in Philadelphia, they're starting uh, putting in podcasting studios. So I have to say that, you know, knowing that there are ways to kind of get around the, the technical aspects made all the difference for me. And so instead of saying, oh, my God, I got to go figure out how to buy this equipment or I've got to figure out this. I was saying, oh, let me go find people who can help me. Mm-hmm. And that was manageable. That was really yeah. manageable. So a couple of questions as we wrap up. Mm-hmm. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? About podcasting or in general? In general. Um, something I've changed my mind about. Okay, this is going to sound really ridiculous, but it's the first thing that came to my mind. I recently bought a dog. Mm. He's a Labradoodle. And I like him. I like Labradoodles the way they look because of their wonderful, like, curly hair. Yeah. But my Labradoodle is defective and he sheds. Like, doodles are not supposed to shed. And my husband has been saying, because he's the one that sweeps and vacuums, like, regularly, he's like, you've got to shave this dog. I mean, no, he's so cute with his little, he's so furry and cute. And, um, I, like I mentioned earlier, we're selling our house. And so I've now had to like vacuum and, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm shaming the dog. And I think their like bigger message here is that like, sometimes like you just have to be practical, you know, like things may look good and you know, you think, oh, that like it's nicer a certain way. But when it comes down to it, if you're going to spend like three hours vacuuming because your dog sheds and there's an easy solution, he may not be as cute. It's the same dog, right? Shave the dog. <laughs> Words of wisdom. Yeah. What's the most misunderstood thing about you? Okay. This is a good one. I'm very loud and I speak up if necessary, but I'm very much afraid of confrontation, which mm. people assume that, you know, you know, if you've got a fight, throw Lori in the middle. No. Mm-mm. I really actually like peace a lot. And I'm and I avoid confrontation, even though I'm loud, like I'm loud, and I'll, you know, raise my hand before anybody else. But um, that does not mean that I am like ready for a fight. Like I if, if you just like raise your hands, I'm like, No, don't hit me. Like, <laughs> that's yeah. like, I want peace. I really do want peace. Well, I think that's what's going to happen when um, people meet you and when they hear your show and they get to know you. So I think what you're doing is really important. I'm so glad that uh, you ended up in that room. I'm so glad you had the inspiration to start a podcast and that you followed up and then you had the the impulse to ask me to be on the show because that's what it takes sometimes. <laughs> it takes that combination of just right place, right time, right situation. And I'm honored to have you on and, and I'm so excited for what you're doing. And I think um, we need more people who, who have the ability to tell stories like this because I, I definitely think we need more of these types of shows and then these types of voices on the air. Well, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. And I, I, I can't, I mean, it's very rare that you really get to kind of thank the person who maybe inadvertently kind of pushed you on your path. And I mean, I literally still, it's a horrible picture. It was a selfie I tried to take of us together, but um, I like, I still have that picture because I was like going to send it to you if you didn't remember me, (laughs) but like really and truly like your speech was amazing. And um, then you're, you know, telling me like, you, you just have to start it. And I think, you know, I think what it was, 
is that you didn't say no you can't be on my show you were like well yeah you can be you just have to have a podcast so you left the door open which let me walk right through it so i appreciate how you did that because you were like the man from and of course then i went and was like oh my god he's like really famous (laughs) you know like and he actually said that to me so i like believed you like I really believed you and I believed you. I took you at your word that you were actually opening the door. You yeah. didn't say uh, no. Yeah. So I do thank you so very much. Uh, so where's the best place for folks to track you down online? Um, people can find me at myamericanmeltingpot.com. Um, that is the name of the blog and it's also the name of the podcast. It's all on one spot, myamericanmeltingpot.com. You can listen to the podcast right there on the website. You can also listen to it on iTunes, Stitcher, you know, all the other great places that you can listen to podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter at Lori Tharps. And you can watch beautiful pictures appear on my Instagram feed at myamericanmeltingpot as well. So um, myamericanmeltingpot or at Lori Tharps, you'll find me. And we'll have links to all those in the show notes. Thank you again for the kind words. Uh, thank you for taking the time to show up and uh, hope to see your podcast movement. <laughs> thank you. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Yeah. Thanks again to Laurie for coming on the show. Always appreciated when folks take the time to come on the show. Full show notes at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 192. Summaries, timestamps, any links mentioned in the show, tweetable quotes. So if you enjoyed the conversation, head on over to that page and you can tweet out about the episode. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Focusrite, and their awesome line of gear, specifically the Focusrite Scarlet 2i2, which I'm staring at right now as I record this. Tune in next week for my conversation with John M. He's the host of Sober Speak, a podcast which has really fascinating conversations with folks who are in Alcoholics Anonymous and other 12-step programs, and we engaged through a conversation on Facebook, and once I started delving into his background and how he was a fan of the show, I thought it just made sense for uh, me to tell his story and for you to hear it directly from him, so please check that one out. That's going to be next week's episode. If you made it this far, you're listening for the retention hashtag. It's going to be Melting Pot Pod. Melting Pot Pod, that's the hashtag, and you can tag myself at podcast underscore junkies and Lori at Lori Tharps. That's L O R I T H A R P S. Thanks for all you do to support the show. Love you guys. Talk to you next week. <laughs>